How, how many of you are filled up on pancakes this morning, right? You got some pancakes or sausage. One of our connection groups made all of that happen today. And so let's give them a big hand for uh, serving us so well. I was out there this morning talking to him about like, hey, what would it take to do made-to-order omelets next weekend? Maybe we do a skillet bar one weekend, get the little hibachi going, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But it's fun to be able to have that time uh, together today. I want to tell you about my good friend, uh, Gary Johnson. Dr. Gary Johnson's going to be here to teach next Sunday morning. Uh, so we'll have a guest with us. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Gary has served as the lead pastor of the Creek Church on the south side of Indianapolis for 30 years. Uh, he retired from that role a couple of years ago and now leads a ministry called Effective Elders. And for the past year, he's been providing some coaching to me as well as to our elder team. And so he's going to be here next Sunday to teach at 9 and 1030. He is a phenomenal teacher. And we're going to have a great morning with him. So I want to make sure that you've got that on your schedule uh, and plan to join us next week. But you're stuck with me today. All right, I'm the guy for this morning. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Acts chapter 6 as we continue in our series all year long through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, uh, if you have a Bible. I don't know if you realize this or not, but three years ago today, in fact, on March 12th, uh, at least we as a staff were, it was a Thursday, we were getting ready for weekend services. Uh, everyone was watching reports about this novel coronavirus that was spreading. Cases were showing up here in the state of Indiana. We had just sent out the weekly e-news with some of our announcements about the weekend, and we announced that while things around us were beginning to cancel, we were going to move ahead as planned with weekend worship services. Within about an hour of hitting send on that email, the governor of Indiana held a press conference calling for a statewide shutdown for 14 days to do what? You know it, to flatten the curve was the, uh, was the plan. So we pivoted. Our whole staff made some quick changes. We tore apart this room. We grabbed every piece of video equipment that we had and then some, and we went online for the first time ever, and we've been online ever since. As I was thinking back to that week, that day, um, this past week, I almost had a nervous breakdown for one, because who wants to do that again? But seriously, I was thinking about all those questions that came up in those first weeks and months, questions that we think are crystal clear now, right? But at the time, we didn't know about, we didn't have answers to questions about how it spread and uh, was it safe to be outside? Should you wipe down your groceries before you bring them into the house? Well, as days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and many of us had friends or family members who spent time, maybe significant time in the hospital. Maybe you knew somebody that died. We, we all slowly found ways to get back to normal life. But even in view of the tragedy of a really dangerous disease, like there are some things that I look back to three years ago that I think I can say I cherish. I, I'll, I'll cherish, I don't know about you, the extra time with my family. We spent a lot of time together, especially in those first few months as so many things were canceled. It was nice to slow down. Uh, I think we all realized we were moving way too fast, and so slowing down was great. Working from home, for a little bit was nice, a nice change, a little refreshing. But there were a lot of good stories too. There were a lot of really sweet things that happened in those first few months. Good stories, encouraging ones. Like take John Krasinski's weekly YouTube show. Maybe you remember this, some good news. Uh, he, uh, every week, this former star from The Office would share stories 
of people coming together to cheer on and celebrate our healthcare workers. He told stories of families that would stash things like hand sanitizer and toilet paper on the porch for delivery drivers to take as a, as a thank you. There were the over, over stories again of like neighbors mowing their yards for one another, helping to provide services that maybe they weren't able to, to find help with. It was just, it was great to hear all of the accounts of people caring for one another, loving each other, rallying behind to, uh, each other in a powerful way. And so for a while at least, it seemed like the whole country was intent on serving one another. Let's help each other. Let's push through this together. And that's kind of the intended picture of the church when it's working well and serving faithfully in this world. Like since its birth in the book of Acts, time and time again, the church has relied on people helping each other, serving together, pulling one another through. After all, Jesus is our founder and he is our model for life and ministry. And it was that Jesus that said this about himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was the disciple John that said this about the lives that we live. He says that whoever claims to live in him, to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. And so like our savior, Jesus Christ, our lives should model and reflect the life of Jesus, the one who is as we know, got down on his knees and washed the feet of his friends. He willingly gave up his life for others. He, Jesus came to serve, and in our own unique way, as followers of Jesus, as a church, as sent people in this world, we are called to do the very same. And if you've been reading with us for these past five weeks through the book of Acts, maybe you're in a connection group that's studying this together. If you've just been here on Sundays, you've seen over these last five weeks how the church has grown so fast. Like what started with 120 people grew to over 3,000 in Acts chapter two. Then Acts chapter four, verse four says the number of men grew to 5,000, which means there could have been as many as 20,000 people in the church if you count women and children. Kenneth Scott LaTourette noted his professor at Yale said this about the rapid growth of the Christian church. He said, never in so short a time has any other religious faith or for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economic ever achieved so commanding a position in such an important culture without the aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige. Basically, other movements you could look back on in history have spread rapidly and forcefully by politics or by conquest, not Christianity, not the case with the early church. Why did Christianity grow so fast? These people saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. He had come back from the grave. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter two. They, they went out and did the kinds of things that Jesus did, loving people the way Jesus loved. They boldly shared the good news and demonstrated it with their actions. And that's why the church grew so fast and why we're gonna see a little bit more of that today, Acts chapter six beginning in verse one. Here's what Luke records. Luke, the physician, the historian, records about those early days. Verse one, he says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so there are two groups of Jews mentioned in this first verse. You have the Hellenistic Jews. Those were the Greek-speaking Jews 
Jews who had immigrated to Jerusalem in order to finish out their lives as close to the temple as possible. But there were also the Hebraic Jews or the Hebrew or Aramaic speaking Jews who had spent all of their lives in and around Jerusalem. These widows, both Greek and Hebrew, relied on the church to help them with food for survival. And that was going fine for a while, but now as Luke records, there's this multifaceted issue, this problem that has come before the church, and it's a really serious one. The first aspect of it was that the number of widows was increasing so rapidly that the church couldn't keep up. The need was too great. Call it a serious benevolence issue. Second, some suggest a racial issue creeping into the church as some believe that one side was being prioritized over the other side because of cultural ethnicity. Thirdly, you also have people generally complaining against each other and within the church. And if I can just add that nothing will create greater problems and greater dysfunction within a church family than something like complaining and distrust and resentment. And here's the thing, you know this, Satan loves it. He loves division. Satan loves conflict. He loves bringing it into a church. He had a lot of fun watching churches argue and split over things like masks and vaccines and politics during the COVID pandemic. This first century church has a problem of their own, but it's not just complaining that threatened the church. Widows were starving. They didn't have enough to eat. There were too many needs. And so these early church leaders recognized that something needed to be done. As the first church had their own unique issues and challenges, the fact is that we have some of our own as well. And I'd like to point out that challenges can be good things. Challenges aren't problems. They're good things to be overcome. To start, our church is growing really fast right now. If you've been here over the last couple of months, you've seen how the crowds are growing. You've probably noticed it's getting a little more difficult getting in and out of the parking lot these days, as great of a job that our parking team uh, does, I must say. You, you, you know, especially if you you come to something like to 1030 service, there are Sundays where you don't get a whole row to yourself, although this one here is always open for anyone that was willing or daring enough to come sit in it. We've got a lot of students coming to GSM on Sunday nights and Monday night or uh, on Wednesday nights. You've heard us talk about uh, how Gen Kids is growing and all of the babies and the kids that are being cared for each week. Add to it, we're still waiting on clarity and direction as it has to do with a more permanent facility for our Noblesville campus. We're asking questions, should we stay? Should we remodel? Should we update? Should we buy property? Should we keep waiting for another facility? Lord, what is it that you have for us? Again, these are good challenges. These are really good things to have to deal with, especially when you consider that there are a number of churches locally and around America right now that are really struggling. By the grace of God, we're asking questions about more space and more room and new buildings or maybe even something like a third campus or an additional one someday. As we grow and as we navigate these challenges, here, here's what I want you to keep in mind. Let's keep in mind that Satan would love nothing more than to find his way into our conversations. Let's, let's stay accountable to one another and most importantly, Jesus. Let's make sure we stay laser focused on our mission of helping people find their way back to God and make sure that our questions and opinions don't become problems and complaints. It's important that we stay flexible 
and we stay humble. And as we're going to see today, it's why we need every person on board. All right, We need every person here serving and praying and contributing to the mission. The Acts 6 church had their own unique challenges. Let's see how the early church decided to address those challenges. Verse 2. So the 12, that would be the 12 apostles at the time, the leaders of the church, gathered all of the disciples, all of the Christians of the church together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. Now, don't read this and think to yourself that the apostles are trying to get out of the grunt work, all right, the hard stuff. Up to this point, they've been doing all, if not most of the work, but they had limitations. And thankfully, they realized this. And because they had committed themselves to the mission of Jesus, the apostles used these increasing challenges as an opportunity to realize that we need to invite others to get others to be a part of the work of the church and to be sure that no widow went hungry. And what we see here is a model of church leadership starting to come into play that will continue on and we'll see played out in other parts of the New Testament too. A model of leadership that I must say we're trying to uh, put into play and to, to lead by here at Genesis. Call it a New Testament model of church leadership if you would. See at Genesis, we believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is our founder and he is our savior and we want to do everything we can to follow after his leadership just as it's described in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ laid down his life for the church. He loves the church. But under Jesus here at Genesis, we have what we call our elder team. Now the word elder simply means overseer. And if you're new to church or if you're new to something like that term, just think board of directors or, or, or governing team. And so our elder team here at Genesis is made up of six men, as can be seen on our website and on this picture here. To the left, Dan Youngblood and Mike Jackson, who both attend our Carmel campus. Steve Davis there in the center, as well as uh, myself, and then Daniel Kopic and Brian McCauley, who serve on and make up our church elder team. The, uh, I'm the only paid staff person on the elder team. The rest of these men volunteer their time. Our campus pastors, Steve Wallen and Jerry Neville, also sit in on our monthly elder meetings, meeting with our team, but they do not have formal roles or a voting presence on the team. Like this leadership team here in Acts chapter 6, our, our elder team seeks to provide leadership and care and accountability and support for our church. They help set the vision for the future and where we go from here. They, they pray for our church. They are praying for you and to, for the things that are before us. They, they help navigate big decisions, things like setting a budget and financial responsibility, building leases, and the potential of property acquisition. They, they hold me accountable. They hold our staff accountable, again, representing our church family. They are doing the best that they can to follow the direction found in the New Testament in places like Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where we read, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And so that's what the elders
elders at Genesis are seeking to do. Each elder is doing the best that they can to follow Jesus and serve our church family with a servant's heart so that we can together shop, shepherd the flock. And, and under the elder team, we have our paid staff, which you know many of them. You can find them on our website too. Our staff lead ministries and volunteers and help serve our church family and our community. And then our church is made up of people like you who lead and serve and give your time and contribute to the everyday work of the church. What's the point? We all have an extremely important part to play in God's family in this community that we call the church. And that's what we see coming together in the early days of the church in Acts. The apostles, the church leaders recognized a need and are ready to respond to it and everyone seemed to think it was a good idea. Verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, not to be confused with that little guy from the Lion King, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so they chose seven men each with a story, each with a job, each with family, each with skills, passions, gifts, strengths, weaknesses, Enneagram types, all right? Seven men invited them into the greater kingdom work and service, full of faith in the Holy Spirit as Acts records. And what happens? Verse seven, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the, to the faith. Translated, amazing things are happening. Not only were widows being fed, but as Luke explains, the number of disciples, people coming to Christ increases and a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. That's significant because the priests were some of the greatest antagonists of not only this new church, but also Jesus. The priests crucified Jesus, but now many of them are coming to faith in him. What a great reminder for us, all right, that even the most outspoken, fiercest opponent of Jesus Christ can come to faith in Jesus. And how cool is it to see that it was at least partly a result of the compassion of this church, the love being demonstrated by this early church. That's why we celebrate generosity here at Genesis. All right, that's why we celebrate things like serving. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus. It's why we collect food for places like Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis this time of the year. Jesus cares about the hurting and the hungry, we think we ought to care about the hurting and the hungry as well. And I don't know if you realize this, maybe you encounter this, I sure hope so, but Genesis is gaining a reputation in our community as a church that cares for people. Like I was walking into Noblesville East Middle School just in the last few weeks, their, their staff were one, some of the recipients of our Giving Tuesday appreciation gifts back in November. And a woman recognized me as I was going in and she grabbed my arm and she just said, I just want to thank you and your church for all that you did and for how you appreciated us. She said, I still, we still can't believe you did this for us. Uh, here, here's an email from someone who attends our Carmel campus. Uh, Genesis came up in some conversations she was a part of recently, and she wrote this to our staff. She said, I just want to share how I heard Genesis mentioned in the community last week. She says, it's really cool to hear people mention our church and how it's impacted them. And then she notes, both instances were without them knowing that Genesis was my church. 
She said the first was at work when a nurse mentioned a church she tried out for the first time, and she talked about how Genesis was so welcoming and so friendly, and she had never encountered something like that before. And she writes, it was cool because it was mentioned within the small group of nurses that had gathered. The other mention of Genesis was in a foster care support group that I'm a part of. This is a secular group with about 40 people in attendance. The topic of the group was support in your community. In an open discussion, a response to share a specific time when a need you had was met by someone else. This woman all of a sudden shared that Genesis Church was amazing and had made a delivery of needed items and clothes for an infant that was put in her care. She said and described how supported she felt because she didn't have time to make the multiple stops to get the things that she needed. She's a full-time working single mom with a new infant, so she was overwhelmed. She specifically said, the church was so supportive and I don't even attend there. This, this woman writes, I, I think it's so cool to hear our church mentioned out in our community. I think it's pretty cool too. And again, we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. We want to draw attention to Jesus. We want people to trust Jesus and to find new life and hope in him. And our generosity and compassion and our serving is one way we can help people see and discover him few things that I, I want to give you today before we go that I think we see here in Acts 6 in these verses. Maybe something for you to process, maybe something specifically that God has for you. The first thing is this, that sent people serve people. Uh, sent people take up an attitude of service. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because Jesus offered his life as a servant, we should too. And that was the attitude of the people in this early church. Their, their lives had been radically changed by the resurrected Jesus. It was their goal to go and tell everyone about him, but they also came ready to serve. They were ready to meet the real needs of the community around them. And what's really neat about that is that when when the church lives generously, when the church loves in a kind of way that Jesus loved, it's not just Christians or the church that benefits, but oftentimes the community, the world notices as well. It was the Roman Emperor Julian, one of the fiercest persecutors of the early church that admitted in disgust that these infernal Galileans or Christians feed our poor in addition to their own. Historian Eberhold Arnold, that's a tough one to say, notes, most astounding to the outside observer was the extent to which poverty was overcome in the vicinity of communities. Christians spent more money in the streets than followers of other religions spent on their temples. Again, these early Christians realized they were sent by God. They're not here just spending time. They are here for a purpose, and God used their faith, their compassion, and their service to get the world's attention. Listen, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a follower of the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we see here in Acts 2 in your life as well. In the same way, you've been sent by God as these first Christians into this world which means as a church, we are sent as well. We are here to serve. We are sent to serve because that's what Jesus modeled for us. And when sent people like you and me make up our minds to model our lives after Jesus, taking the daily posture as a servant, like incredible things can happen. 
I mean, take this story as an example. The apostles selected seven men. The truth is we don't know much about five of them. A little bit about Stephen and Philip. We'll look at Stephen's, or Philip's story in a couple of weeks. But with each of them, including Stephen, note that the text says, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they made themselves available, which evidently is a really good place to start for anyone who wants to serve Jesus faithfully in this world. In fact, look at what's going to happen through Stephen. Verse 8, Luke records, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty interesting to me. I got a lot of curiosity about what's going on there and look forward to hearing about it one day. But think about how it started for Stephen. He said yes to a Meals on Wheels program, all right, right? I mean, think of it as serving pancakes and sausage on a Sunday morning. He was faithful in the little things and God used him in some really incredible ways, which leads to another important lesson, and that is that God loves using ordinary people. He uses ordinary people. Stephen was an ordinary guy. All we know is that he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, which just means, again, that he had trusted Christ with his salvation which means the Holy Spirit was in him. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. The very presence of God becomes a dwelling in your life, but not just in him. The Holy Spirit was leading him and influencing his everyday actions. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit, as is described here in Acts, means that you could say Stephen was regularly abiding in Jesus. Uh, that he spent time each day likely in his Bible, meditating and applying the word of God to his life, that obedience in all things and in every relationship was a priority. He made up his mind every day to serve the same way that Jesus did. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who or what are you living for in this world? Who, who is your priority uh, are, are you living for the next big promotion, the next big payday, property, uh, a big house, the hopes of your kid going pro one day? Like, like, is that the priority? Or is living for Jesus the goal? Is your kids living uh, and abiding in Jesus, is, is that the goal in, in your parenting? Is that, is that the priority that we're all seeking? Like following Jesus means God taking every, control of every part of your life. He wants nothing less than everything from every single one of us. And, and for those of you that might think to yourself, well, I'm the exception here. I've got nothing to offer. There's nothing special about me. I've got this past. I've got this story. Nothing extraordinary. Be be encouraged. God specializes in using ordinary people like, like, like any of us. Think back to a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin. Remember, they, they took note of Peter and John. They were, as the scriptures say, unschooled ordinary men. Like this is a theme we're going to see over and over again in the book of Acts, this picture of God using faithful, ordinary men and women. He's using me. I'm nothing special. There's nothing fascinating about me. My wife and Jenny and I, we often joke that we're going to have the following words printed on our tombstone one day. He tried, right? That, that's just the goal, right, isn't it? It just, he tried in every aspect of life. We're all just trying. We're all giving our best. I'm nothing on my own, but God's word says that in Jesus Christ, that you and I, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love how he's doing this. I love how we 
see God, you know, through his word and, and, and through his promises and how he's working through people like our high school students. Like uh, I got this picture from one of the moms of one of our high school students uh, in the last couple of weeks and you might recognize the decal as we talked about that here from stage and how you can use that decal to tell the story of Jesus and, and salvation. And so for one of our high school students, she's got this on her water bottle and uh, on this particular day at school, she had two different students ask about what it meant and she had the opportunity to tell the story of Jesus and his work in, in her life and, and the potential of, uh, of his work in others. God can use anyone. Like he, he chose Stephen. He used Stephen. He's using our high school students. He's using many of you. Like he can, he can use any of us. And the good news is that you don't have to be valedictorian of your class. You, if you weren't a cheerleader, if you didn't make the basketball team, if you were never voted the most likely to succeed, if you've never won an award at school or at work or a community service award, it doesn't matter. Like God can use anyone. He specializes in using ordinary men and women and kids and students, anyone who is faithful to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, he loves to use people who say yes to him. God, you can use me. Stephen said yes, and God used him in extraordinary ways, which leads me to the question then, is there something you need to say yes to? Like where's God, how has God been nudging you? Has he been trying to get your attention? Is there something that just keeps coming up over and over and over again? Is he asking something of you? Is it something specific as it has to do with a neighbor? Maybe you've just got a neighbor that you know is going through an incredibly difficult time right now and you're just thinking to yourself, man, I wish somebody would do something. But maybe this morning part of God's work in your life is realizing, no, it's, that's you. You've heard people, I, I wish the church would do something about this. Hey, guess what? The church is people. It's you and me. Is God asking to help a, a single parent or a, a foster family in your life? You know, students, are, are there needs coming up at your school, in your circles, the people that you spend time with? And, and maybe part of God's work in you is realizing, oh, I could be a part of the solution. Is there a a need going unmet in our community that that you can help meet. As I mentioned today, we're collecting food for Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis. They're serving a number of students in the Indy area, students in their own community that will go hungry during spring break if they're not helped with food. And so these food bags that you'll see out in the lobby today, well, we're filling them up and every, every bag represents a student that's gonna get to, take, get to take home some food. And so uh, if you'd be willing to grab one of those bags, there's a shopping list in there. Bring it back next week. Let's see how many bags we can fill. Let's see how many students we can, we can help we can help feed. You, you've heard us talk these last couple of months about some of the big needs we have in Gen Kids right now, like serving families and kids in our church is a priority for us. It, it always has been. And, and I'll just get straight to the point. We, we, need, we need additional work. We, we've got a growing Gen Kids ministry, and I need some of you to say yes and to jump in and, and serve with our Gen Kids team. And some of you are incredibly gifted when it comes to serving with kids. We could really use your help. Some of you have taken a well-needed break, all right? from Gen Kids, but maybe it's time to, to jump back in. It's, you, you know as well as I do, we're not offering childcare on Sunday mornings. We're introducing our young people to Jesus. We, we want our young
young people to grow in faith in Jesus Christ, to recognize that they've got a real part to play in this world as well. Victoria, our Gen Kids leader, tells me that if we had 12 more volunteers that would be willing to serve two times a month, we'd really be in a good place as a team right now. Would you be willing to, to say yes to a need like that today? But what do you need to say yes to? It's, it's why I guess you could say we're asking you to pray this. We're just calling it our everyday prayer with us all year long. And you can get a copy of this from the website or we've got a handout back at the info hub, but it's just a prayer that says, Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. Like my life has changed forever because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to do for others what you've done for me. We see this demonstrated in Acts chapter six here. Use me, like use my life. I, I am sent by you. I want others to know you you can use me. These first six chapters of Acts provide example after example of ordinary people filled and living by the Holy Spirit, trusting God, serving obediently. And here's the thing, sneak peek. If you keep reading Stephen's story in Acts chapter six and on into Acts seven, you'll see that people are gonna get really frustrated with him. He's eventually gonna be taken before the Sanhedrin. He will boldly declare the message and the good news of Jesus and they will execute him for his faith, for his boldness, which is a tragedy depending on how you look at it. Because like Jesus, Stephen was willing to lay down his life too. And because he lived boldly and faithfully, as we're gonna see together, many more will come to Christ as a result of it. And honestly, there's nothing more important than that. What do you need to say yes to today? We're going to spend a minute here as we close today just in quiet, giving you an opportunity, if you would, if you feel led today, to just pray and think about what a prayer like this means for you. Maybe there's something you've been talking to God about. Maybe you take advantage of that time here this morning. But I'll end with this. The greatest yes you will ever say is to Jesus. Because like Stephen, Jesus said yes to God's plan and mission and recognizing that there was this incredible spiritual hunger and desperation in the world, Jesus came and lived life the way life was meant to be lived and he voluntarily gave up his life to pay a price that you and I could never pay for ourselves. And his invitation is his salvation and his life and his forgiveness, but his invitation is one that says, follow me, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Let's pray together. Again, I'm gonna give you just a minute on your own to talk to the Lord, to respond to him, maybe to say yes to him in some way today. And then I'll pray and conclude for us. Father in heaven, so many of us today pray these words. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the gift and the life and the hope of Jesus Christ. 
our Savior. Maybe some here praying that for the first time ever today, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for how you're drawing people to yourself and how you're changing lives even here at Genesis and, and through Genesis, Lord. But we recognize today that our lives were bought with a price. That we are redeemed, we are saved, we are sent by you into this world. And we want you to do for others, Lord, what you've done in us. But you need willing hearts, you need willing lives. And so I pray that it would be our increasing desire to do as Jesus did, not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives so that others may find their way back to you. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the hope, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Have your way in our lives today, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.